The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. Should we aspire to find our fulfillment through our passions and pay the bills with our job? Hey, listeners. Welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we have a very special guest that we're very excited to sit down with. Her name's Jessie Hempel. If you haven't heard of Jessie, she is a senior editor-at-large at LinkedIn. She's also the host of the very popular podcast. I don't know how many more times I can say very, but we're excited. That's why. Uh, called Hello Monday. And Jessie's interviewed some of the most interesting and successful people in the world. On top of that, she has a master's in journalism from Cal Berkeley. She's also an adjunct professor at NYU, creating her own course. She's been a journalist for many years. And today, what we decided to do was sit down with Jessie and actually get to know her, since she spends all of her time getting to know everybody else. So we cannot wait to talk more with her. And thank you so much for coming on and having virtual coffee with us, Jessie. Thank you for having me. It's so weird to be on the other side of the microphone. (laughs) We love it. Thank you, Jesse, for coming today. Um, For our listeners, Jesse has been a mentor to me and Leah since we've started our podcast. And we're just so grateful to have her in our lives and for us to be interviewing her today and having her on the other side. So as is tradition uh, at In the Arena is that before we jump into the interview, we love to ask some speed dating questions to get us a little vulnerable and jumping in together. Are you open to it, Jesse? Sure. Awesome. So I'm going to kick us off. And the first question is, what's your most memorable interview? Oh, my most memorable interview was actually when I was fairly new to journalism. And it was it was a year that the Olympics were about to be announced. And I actually was tapped to go on CNN. I was very nervous to do it. They put me in one of those remote studios where you're like in a closed box and a camera's trained on your face and someone near your ear is telling you, okay, talk now. But the thing is, I had not prepared for them to announce that the Olympics were going to be in London. And so the newscaster said, okay, the Olympics were going to be in London. And I thought, well, I I don't know anything about London. I've never been to London. I can't tell you anything about London. And they trained the camera on me and I said nothing. And that is why it was my most memorable interview. Wow. So what happened next? I sweat a little bit. The newscaster quickly trained the camera off of me. CNN did not invite me back on for about two years. And at work, they got me a coach to teach me how to do media. I love it, (laughs) Jesse. It was awful, you guys. It was truly awful. But you know what? I am the only person who remembers it. Well, you guys too. So, but you know what? I I think it's such a good story. I, you know, prior to this interview, uh, we were looking you up and, and, you know, reading about you and listening to your podcast and reading about your history. And I was like, wow, you know, you're so successful and it's amazing. And it's so awesome to hear that there's points of failure. And there are those moments that you had to go through to get to where you are today. And that little story is, which was a big moment in your life can, help so many of us who are aspiring to do really big things and recognizing that it doesn't happen overnight, but you have to have those moments of, wow, can I do this? And you learn from it. So that thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 
No problem. I think we all mess up just over and over and over again. And like, if there's a big mistake that we make in the mess up is that we think erroneously that most people remember those things about us forever and ever. When in fact, like you just have to keep going. Like the spoils go in the game. The spoils go to the people who persist, not the people who do anything best. Yeah. 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 So well said. Imagine if you'd given up after that CNN snafu. You wouldn't be sitting here with us today. (laughs) All right. Second question. What is one of your favorite podcasts? Oh, well, one of my favorite podcasts for sure is, I'm going to give you two. The first is a little bit of an archival dive. I loved Note to Self with Manoush Samarodi. Manoush Samarodi was such an excellent early critic of technology. And I mean critic because she was also a techno optimist and a lover of technology. And she explained things that felt unexplainable, things that you felt like you needed to be a tech geek to understand. Now, here's the thing about me. I am a little tech geek. I have an inner tech geek. But the reason I love technology is because of what technology can do for people. I think it can make us feel closer to each other. It can join us in communities. It can help us express ourselves. And Manoush's note to self did an excellent job of that. But I said, too, the other one I would point you to is totally Guy Raz's podcast, How I Built This. And Jackie, you said this earlier in a conversation. Guy has such a magical ability to help founders be vulnerable about their founding stories. And it gets at that that theme, like people make mistakes along the way. Like success is composed of lots of things that go right and lots of things that go wrong. And the things that go wrong are the things that pierce us and we learn from them. And Guy does such a great job at helping people talk about that. Yeah, that is totally one of my favorite podcasts. That How I Built This was the first podcast I started listening to when I started listening to podcasts in 2017. And um, for those of you who tune into Hello Monday, Jesse's podcast, or are going to after today's uh, In the Arena episode, she has an awesome interview with Guy Raz. So definitely recommend you all listen to that. Okay, so next question. What else would you have done with your career if not writing? There is nothing else. Writing is my ride or die. (laughs) I have known this since I was eight years old. There has been nothing else that I could possibly do I tried teaching right after college because I didn't think I could be a writer because I didn't think writers made money. I was right mostly about that, by the way. Writers (laughs) barely make the money that you you aspire to make when you're just starting out in your life. I tried working at a nonprofit, but I wasn't very good at that. I tried a number of different jobs. And finally, I got to a point where I said, okay, well, I desperately want to write what kind of writing jobs also pay the bills. And that's how I got to journalism. In in particular, that's how I got to business journalism. Business journalism is, is wonderful because it turns out that much of the drama that happens in the world happens either over affairs of the heart, love, or over money, right? And so business journalism is story after story about money and where it goes and what it makes people do. And so I discovered, I went, I went into business journalism because it felt like a very practical way to pay my bills while being a writer. And I, disca- I discovered a love of very dramatic tales and stories. That's wonderful. I want to know more later about what it's like to be eight years old and just know. I mean, like I don't have any other experience. And the weird thing about that, Leah, is I don't think that's the way that work works for most people. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife thinks it's ludicrous. She still doesn't know what she wants to do. She's 40 years old and she's still like, well, maybe I'll, I'll try this next. 
but in some ways it was a calling for me. I couldn't really do anything else. All right. And then last question, Jesse, the best part about being a mom to your son, Jude. Okay. The best thing about being a mother to my son, Jude, is learning the world all over again. This is completely cliche. Anybody who is a parent to a human or any other type of animal uh, will will identify with this. But you grow into the world and you think that things are amazing that you think are amazing and then you get used to them and the world stops feeling as amazing. And then you uh, have a child or actually... I had this experience with my dog too, who I love dearly, and suddenly you begin to perceive the world through their experience of the world and different things pop out at you is amazing. I just think that's really profound. Mm. And how old is your son, Jude? He is 23 months. He'll be two next month. I I was thinking, I I knew he was younger than eight, but I was like, does he know what he wants to do with his life? (laughs) He does know what he wants to do with his life. He wants to be a professional lawnmower. What he talks about 100% of the time. I hope that it doesn't last. I hope that this is a temporary thing for him. Yeah. Or that he owns a lawn mowing business that's incredibly successful. There you go. That would be a wonderful thing for him to do with his life. You know, he wants to mow lawns with his life, though. I'm happy with that if he can figure out how to make that work. Pay the bills, right? Exactly. All right, Jesse. So we are excited to jump into you. So... Just first and foremost, we gave you an intro, but tell us about you. Like what what does the world, what do people need to know about Jesse? For me, first of all, as you say, my career journey and my life journey are twinned. They're completely paired, but I have had the good fortune and also the sort of sheer need of spirit to pursue in my professional life the things that light me up and are my passions. So for me, it might seem that that's writing. And as I said earlier, like writing is just this this sort of expression that I feel constantly drawn to. But I think even more than that, it's curiosity and creation. And the thing about the kind of writing that I have always done is that it has required me to spend deep time with people in concepts and do all that I can to try to understand them rather than superimpose my own beliefs on the world on top of them. That was one of the earliest things I had to learn in order to be a good magazine writer. And the kind of magazine writing I did, I did feature writing. I still do sometimes. But the way that that would work is I would be given a subject to profile. Like at one time, I was I was sent to Utah to profile a guy named Josh James, who was at the time in his early 30s, And he had taken a company public. He was one of the earliest guys to take a company public. And he was a practicing Mormon. And he had five little kids. And when I was going to come and write this magazine about article about him, he it was for Fortune magazine. And he called me up and he said, you know, I'm I'm so glad you're coming to write about my life. I want you to come over for dinner. I want you to spend time with my family. I'm going to take you all around my community. Like it was the equivalent of moving into the front seat of his life for a couple of weeks. And that is a real challenge for a woman who is gay, liberal, outspoken about that, grew up in cities in the Northeast, to attempt as best I can to check all of that and really take on like the the human experience of another person. To me, that experience, that story about Josh magnified 
that's the story of my career and my life, like what I like most doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm so curious, like if you were, I'm imagining you like literally going into his life with him. And, and funny enough, I had a similar experience going to Utah. My brother played baseball. So we would go in the summers and stay with a family. And it was all Mormon families. And we had this totally different experience of life, which was strange and interesting. And thinking back, I'm like, wow. But I'm curious if you were to zoom out, you said this is your whole career. What are you learning by doing that? I think one thing that I learn is that we are more the same than we are different as human beings in the world. And that our great challenge in the world, and particularly I think in 2020, is to search for the sameness. And very often, particularly because the internet, you know, the internet's a funny thing. I am am such a techno optimist. I am a believer in the future of what this technology can do for communities but I think we're in this awkward period of its evolution. It's been around for a couple of decades. We figured out a lot of things we can do with it, but we've got a lot more figuring out to do. And in the moment that we're in, it sometimes feels like the internet does a really great job of highlighting the way that we're different from each other because it collapses your context. On the internet, depending on what community you land in, you're all that you are, whether it's your political party, whether it's your religious affiliation, whether it's, you know, like, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a small Facebook group for gay ladies who have dogs in New York city. That's so cool. It's so cool that I can just go and find all the gay ladies who have dogs in New York city. But what it robs us of is the larger context of our identities. So in real life, Leah, like you can be in Utah with the, you know, watching your brother play baseball and you can be on the baseball team with all these people who are different from you in 150 ways, but they're the same in that they love watching the baseball players that they're watching. And you can have this wonderful thing that unites you and you can chat about it and enjoy time, time spent with, within that community. And that's the piece that I feel is my purpose in life to try to bring back that sense that we amidst all of this, all of the things that are are different about us in the world, that we can find the common ground, the similarities and the ways to be in strong community with each other. Knowing that our world is different right now in COVID, we are living the most virtual lives we've ever lived. How, how have you seen this shift over the past six months during quarantine and knowing that people are not traveling, they're not getting the opportunity to sit in a, fam- a host family's house for a few weeks or just experience another culture like the way that we were used to before COVID. Have you seen a shift in the way that people are interacting now, given that we're all virtual? As I think about that question, I think about all the letters that I get from Hello Monday listeners. I say letters, I mean email correspondence. I get a lot of LinkedIn messages, ton of Instagram messages. And so I hear from people like what's going on for them. And so we're speaking on the first day of September and COVID has been, you know, like March until now. I don't know about you, but I think that feels like it's been about 10 years. And so there have been different chapters in how people have reacted over the course of that period of time. And for a short period of time, there was what I think of as the crisis moment. The crisis moment lasted weeks, months, even where people felt like they had just fallen off the back of the earth and there was nothing to catch them. And they rode in with concerns over their own personal health, 
what was happening to their jobs. People were being laid off. And in those moments, in answer to your question, Jackie, about sort of community and how people were relating and connecting, they mostly weren't. Like we were all just isolated and isolating and falling into our little narrow views. And then there was the second moment. I'm going to call that the sort of like coming out moment, right? And that was when we all discovered, oh, wait, we can all be together again on Zoom. So during that period, right, we all Zoomed everything. We Zoomed concerts. We Zoomed with our old college friends. We Zoomed with like the our family Zooms. We had some weird family reunion with relatives like I don't see in real life ever, but they were on that Zoom call, right? And then there was a moment after that, you know, all the Zooming, that was also when we were baking a lot of bread and we eventually ran out of yeast and ran out of energy for our Zoom calls and realized that actually what we were searching for was something different than simply visually seeing people and frantically connecting. It was actually deep fellowship. And that's sort of the moment that I think that we're still in as we, as we go through this period We've had to rethink all of our digital tools. We are still fairly ambivalent about what role we want them to play in our lives. We we still don't really know. But many of us, and certainly many of the Hello Monday listeners express a deeper connection to their immediate local communities born out of an absolute need for those communities to exist and to nurture them. It's interesting, Jesse. You, I mean, I, I love that you share the chapters of COVID. I hadn't thought of it as chapters, but it's absolutely true. There was this like self for self and God for us all moment. And then there was like, that was like, you know, everybody was ruthless. And then there was like the, wait a minute, I actually do want people there. And I remember doing virtual brunches, which have totally fallen off. Right. And then now, you know, as we're sitting here, I'm I'm not in New York City. I'm out visiting someone in Boston who's in my quarantine because I just need physical contact with people. And and I think, you know, the neighborhood part or the the community part has been so real for for me because, you know, I live alone in New York City and I've got you know, my, my dog walker, who I probably tell a lot more to than I ever have in my life, you know, he knows way too much about my world. I'm like, you like my new shorts, you know, or, or my, the person who sells me my dog food or, you know, my laundry person, like it, it feels, I feel closer to the people around me that I almost in some ways absolutely didn't ignore, but definitely didn't let in, in the way that I am now. I love that you, you talk about that experience, Leah, and Particularly in many ways, there's everybody's COVID experience is very intense, but there are really there are different COVID experiences. And two of the most dramatically different are people who live alone and people who live in the company of others. And neither, by the way, is better or worse, but it is amazing how different those experiences are, right? Because while you're talking to your dog walker, I'm like, you know, I'm currently, I'll tell you, in my in my small apartment in Brooklyn, it's not that small, but my apartment in Brooklyn, there is my wife, my son, my wife is working too. You're looking at me in what we like to call the executive conference room, which is also the bedroom in the evening. But we've formed a pod with our neighbors next door to us who have twins who are my son's age. And so the mom and dad from that family are also working from my apartment. And all the little kids are over at their house with a caregiver. And then a couple of times a day, everybody kind of switch places. And I have never been alone. I've never not been alone this long in my life, Leah. Like there is no alone time in my life. Like none. And, 
it's it's just amazing to me how sharp the emotions are and how different they are, how different the experiences are. Yeah. Yeah. Very very different than my experience and Leah's experience. We both live alone and we're really alone for for months until we started seeing people probably like May, June. And we, you know, did an episode around COVID and there you're right, none is better than the other, right? You all have your experience, you all deal with it in your own ways and and they're all learning and growing experiences for all of us. So so I have to ask you Jackie, Leah, both of you right now, as we're speaking, Leah, you're visiting a friend, Jackie, you've got a trip planned with someone over the weekend. You're not as alone as you were at the beginning of COVID. I imagine there were just really terrible things about that time for you. Is there anything that you look back at over that time that you miss and you you wish you could sort of experience again for a little bit? So I'll give an example because last night I was alone for the second night in a row, but I had been with people the past six weeks kind of traveling and spending some time with family and others. And I journaled and it was the first time I had journaled probably since living alone, you know, being alone, probably six to eight weeks prior to that. And I was actually looking through my journal and I was like, wow, I grew a lot during the time of COVID and being alone because I used the time to really go inward and to do a lot of self-reflection and to work on the areas of myself that were coming up, right? The shadows that were coming up. And I and I used this time, and I know Leah did as well because we spoke about this on one of our episodes, that that was a benefit, right, of being alone. And so while I was journaling last night, I was like, yeah, I miss this. And this is also something I don't need to be alone to do. But the progress that I made on my own self-improvement really did coming from, did come from having the space to witness those shadows, take you know, take and and be intentional about doing something about it and giving myself time to really go through a a process of healing that honestly had catapulted me into a new spiritual journey, a new transformation period that I'm now in. So I'm super grateful for that time. And I always also recognize that like, I don't have to be by myself to do that, right? I, I can also take advantage of that while I'm with other people or just making room for it in my life. Yeah. Witness the shadows. I love, I love the way that you said that. It comes up when you're alone, right? Because you have the mental clarity to be with it and and to see it. And you can either repress it by doing things that are unhealthy for you, like drinking or online shopping or TV in some cases, or you can actually sit with it and do the work. And so it's, you always have the option, but with space, you get that. It's a clearer mind, I think, because you see it. Yeah, I would say similar experience. You know, it's 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 always weird, right? You kind of caveat the the experience of like, yeah, I've been doing a lot of self growth and not wanting to be that annoying person, you know, and saying like, wait a minute, all things considered, in this terrible time, I'm so fortunate to be able to just sit in my apartment by myself and essentially have a retreat experience. So I think for me, what I learned was, um, I used to think I was an extrovert, and it's hysterical now to even. <laughs> to even believe that I'm like my energy I don't know about you guys but I'm like my energy comes from being alone and like really I mean Jackie knows this I overdo everything so I'm like I'm like taking five certifications I'm doing a bunch of deep diving I'm writing I'm like you know all this stuff that I wouldn't have had time to do if COVID hadn't have happened so there is a lot of gratitude and you know 
all of us living in New York, we have been at the center of some of the most devastating experiences of COVID. And so, you know, also knowing people who've lost people because of COVID, it's been a, it's been like, you're holding both things, the pain of what people are going through and the gratitude of your own experience to be able to grow and focus on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea of holding both things. Uh, You know, Jackie, you said you sort of staged it, uh, sort of framed it as an either or like you, you're either using this time to journal and be very intentional about the time, or you're like drinking and watching too much TV. And I think about it in my own life more as a both and. Yeah. Turns out I have had more wine in the last six months and not too much, but just, you know, like just bring it on. And eating a lot of ice cream in front of the new show that I discovered, which is the British version of Law & Order SVU. It has 26 seasons. Like, we can be here a while. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, in particular, as a as a writer, I really need that time. And so I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. I literally bound out of bed at 5 a.m. because from 5 to 7 is my time. And I... I'm still not quite sure how this happened. I'm delighted about it, but I, I sold a book project in June. And so I am writing a memoir. And so I basically wake up every morning at five o'clock and write for an hour and a half, then get on with my day and then start my day job doing the podcast and love it. Wow. That's awesome. Jesse, are you like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to this. I want to come back to your eight-year-old sense of purpose and this being your calling. Like, I, I'm just so curious what that's like, like what that experience is. Is it like in your bones? How, like all of this, I want to know, I want to know what's in your memoir too, but, but what's it like to just be here going, wow, this is my calling. There's nothing else. So at eight, I wrote an essay about what I wanted to be when I grow up. And that essay was about actually how I wanted to be an ice skater. And I remember that because I won the school ride writing contest with that essay for every grade with my third. And it was a big deal that a third grader had won it. And my takeaway there was, oh, oh, no, I want to be a writer. Look, because the school says that I'm the very best one. And that sense of an outside authority giving me a blessing at that moment was actually fairly critical for my development as a writer. And here are the other things you should know about me at eight. I didn't fit in. I was a nerd. I already thought of myself as fat. Guys, I wasn't fat, but I was a girl in America in the 80s. I We moved a lot. I very rarely had friends. I was a know-it-all. I think that I was probably perceived as, as annoying. And so my general sense of myself was that a lot of things were going wrong. A lot of things, even at eight, I knew there were a lot of things about Jesse Hempel that I did not want to be. But there was this one thing that I was really, really good at, and that was writing. And so Like, I didn't have words for a purpose at that point. And I don't know that if I hadn't been told that I was good at something else, that would have been the thing I wanted to do. But it was more like writing was a lifeline. It was a place where I could find approval and I could make adults and other kids connect to me. And I needed that. Well, we are so grateful that you went with that because your writing is amazing and you've done incredible things over the past few decades with your career and the people you've interviewed and the stories you've written. So, so we're grateful that you, you went with that. I want to pivot a little bit just to talk about Hello Monday and the podcast that you launched in February of 2019 with LinkedIn. 
Well, first of all, you did write a LinkedIn article in uh, Fortune magazine, I think in maybe 2012 or something. And it's funny that you did end up working at LinkedIn, you know, a few years later. So that the irony there is, is not lost on us. And it'd be curious, you know, we'd be curious to hear about that. But what really struck Leah and I when we were, you know, preparing for this episode is that Hello Monday has a focus of the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. That's like the headline of, of Hello Monday. And when you think about that, right, the changing nature of work and how work is changing us, and think about 2020 and what the world has been through. I mean, can you align like a better, you know, mission statement for a podcast to what is actually happening in reality? And just curious, like, in upon reflection of the past, you know, t- year of 2020, like, what comes to you with that? Yes, that's exactly. That's what we always say. Hello, Monday is a podcast about the changing nature of work and the way that work is changing us. And when I launched that, I thought it was going to be actually fairly narrowly about technology. I mean, technology is just changing work so much. And we're having to learn so much about that. But what I discovered is actually the much more interesting conversation to happen is like what that means for all of us and how we all figure out how to make work work in our lives. It's about the constant balance that we're doing between like getting the bills paid and trying to aspirationally move forward in whatever our career is and realizing our passions. And it's also about the balance between getting the bills paid and realizing all the other responsibilities we have as fully formed humans outside of our jobs. And, you know, I think the very nature of a career has shifted a lot in my lifetime. That even, you know, I, I'm in my mid-40s, and even in my parents' generation, you went to school, you decided on your career, you often studied in school for your career. My father became a lawyer, my mother aspired to become a nurse, and then you went to work at a place, and you worked there your whole career. And maybe if you were bold you changed law firms or you you moved from a law firm to a company. And so you had two employers and that was how work worked. And at the same time, when my parents were growing up, the center of their community was their church and their sense of self was tied to who they were within that church community. And most people kind of stayed locally attached to whatever their communities were. And work was important, but it certainly wasn't the the defining aspect of your identity. Now, fast forward to 2020, and we live in a moment when a lot of the traditional institutions from churches to community organizations to clubs that my parents and grandparents belong to don't exist in such a robust way anymore. And we get a lot more meaning. We're expected to get a lot more meaning from our careers at the same time as our jobs change all the time. Our jobs change you know, often every few years. And I just think that's a head scratcher and how we make sense of that for ourselves and how we take from that a sense of autonomy and authority in our own lives and purpose is a question that we need to explore. And we do. That's what we talk about in Hello Monday. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. 
Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Jesse, I'm so curious is that you mentioned, you know, purpose and even church community. And, you know, if you if you know me, I always like to bring it back to spirituality. But I actually do think that there's this sense of needing to have meaning and purpose in our lives. And I'm wondering where you see connection between maybe the removal of some of the church communities and the weight that they had, the gravitas they had, and now the intensity of work and how people jump place to place. Like what's going on? The journalist in me says, oh, Leah, you should talk to an expert about that. That's not me. (laughs) But if you take a step back and you look at one of my favorite barometers of, of movement in our culture, which is the Edelman Trust Barometer, you know, Edelman has been doing this for I think more than 20 years now. And it looks at where people put trust in our culture. And what you see is this interesting thing. You see that people trust most institutions much less than they did 20 years ago. They trust politics and politicians less. They trust the media less. They trust religious institutions less. The one type of institution that they trust more than they ever did is business. So think about then the responsibility that places on business to step up for people as something beyond a paycheck. It's huge. I mean, and and I'll tell you, you know, Jackie, you mentioned about, you know, how I had written about LinkedIn and now isn't it interesting that I work here? That is completely by design. I really wanted to work at a company that felt the responsibility to its employees to step up and be what a company needs to be to employees in 2020. And I would contend that many employers try to, but very few employers are capable of being all that people look to their employee employers to be in 2020, because we're looking to them for so much more than we ever have before. So much more. Yeah. A lot of people come to to me and I know Leah as well as coaches around career stuff. And one of the pieces of advice I always give to people is look for a company that you want to work for, understand their mission, understand what they're doing for the world. Are you connected to it? Do you receive your own values that you value in that company, right? Are they, and, and then look to see if there's a role that aligns with your skill set because it's so true. And we And I know for myself too, even moving to LinkedIn and when I was job searching, it was so important for me to understand the why. Why is this company here? What are they doing for the world? What is the purpose? And am I connected to that? Is what I'm doing day to day impacting that? What value am I bringing? But in our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, that wasn't there to your point, right? It it wasn't that same connection. And I think that's a really great, um, I'm going to look that up, the Edelman Trust Barometer. I hadn't heard of that from Pew Institute. And I, I think that's an, an, an amazing resource for, for all of us. That is the, exactly the right counsel, Jackie. And it's, it's so wise of you to frame it that way. And I think attached to that also, if you understand that we expect what I would say is like too much in this moment from our employers, it also helps you to take a step back and figure out what your own true north is. And that's really important. And particularly if you've worked at a place for a while, it can be really easy to start to think that like whatever you want in the world is just whatever that place wants for you in the world. And I, and I bet you probably see this in people who come to you for coaching as well. Like a really important moment in your own professional life is when you step back and say, okay, what is, you know, what is Leah Smart's purpose? here? Like, what is she trying to achieve? And can she do that at this place of employment? Or is it time to go to another? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so, so important. I think it's such a great point. And to look at it from the individualist standpoint, right? And everything is nuanced and there's always a balance in how much you put into a company and then what you're obviously putting into yourself. You also reminded me of Dory Clark. I know we both interviewed her and thinking about what your passion is, what your true north is, and having that, even if you have a day job, right, and you're working for a company, continuing to invest in yourself and what you want to bring into the world outside of your company will always give you that fulfillment, you know, that that so many of us are searching for. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, and so many of the people in Hello Monday, too, and this is by design, I look for people like this, have also made radical changes because they have been so focused on what that true north is. And when you know what your true north is, you are less afraid of moving from one kind of opportunity to completely another kind of opportunity. I'll share with you an episode that did like really particularly well. It really resonated with people. And it was a woman named Jessica Powell. And she was, she had come up, she had just been of the right age, living in the right place in her early 20s, where she landed a job at Google. And she was the communications person at Google. And she liked the job fine. And everyone around her was like, that's a great job for you. You're doing great at that job. You're killing it. And she stayed there. And she stayed there. And as you might suspect, if you land at Google early enough, and you just stick around, she became quite wealthy through the job. And she uh, she climbed up the corporate ladder. And pretty soon, she was basically the head of communications at Google. And she looked up and she was like, wait, but like my true north is over there. This job is not doing for me what I want my job to do anymore. And so she held her breath. And she gave it up. She gave up a job that was getting um, her outside credibility. It was getting her a very nice paycheck. It was fine. She didn't hate it because she understood that there was something out there for her that was bigger than that. And today, Jessica is actually a writer. She's writing her second book. I'm always like, I love looking at that change moment for people in their careers. Yeah, definitely. I'm listening to you and resonating with that shift moment. I've, I've had it myself. I had it a few years ago and now I feel so aligned to what my purpose is. And I'm also a writer. And like, there's something so deeply fulfilling about experiencing that and knowing for sure, uh, you know, a little different from you, Jesse, when I was young, I used to get great grades in writing. And then I remember this point where all of a sudden it was like, ooh, you're not as great of a writer because my grades started to dip in writing. And so then I stopped believing based on external validation or lack thereof that that was for me. But I'm curious, you know, you shared purpose and we've talked a lot about the true north and purpose. And you're reminding me of this super soul conversation with Elizabeth Gilbert, where she talks about this experience she had where she went into an audience and she talked all about how she's always known she wanted to be a writer. And she waited tables and did everything that she could do, gave up everything and lived basically like impoverished to be this writer. And she her whole message was go follow your passion. And this woman afterwards writes her on Facebook and says, basically, screw you. (laughs) Like, you have made me feel like crap because I don't know my passion. And so Elizabeth's conversation or her her conversation on the Super Soul um, episode is about how that woke her up to realize that not everyone is there. And her advice was follow your curiosities, which is something I like live by now. And I'm curious for you being someone who's known your purpose, whether it was from external validation or deep inside, which I, I think it probably was a mix. How would you tell people to find their true north, to find their purpose? Well, that's funny because, you know, even as I'm thinking about it, well, first of all, 
Elizabeth Gilbert. I had Elizabeth Gilbert come into the Hello Monday studio too, and she's exceptional. And when I had her in and we were talking about purpose, Elizabeth Gilbert began by saying, I thought my purpose was writing, but now I realize I've come so far in my life. I've changed so much. And right now I think that my purpose is to be love in the world. And like, you can think that's hokey a little bit. I think it's hokey a little bit, but the thing that I think is interesting there is that her purpose wasn't static. It, it, it changed and it changed as she did exactly what you said, Leah. She followed her curiosity and, uh, and you know, the way that that plays out in my own life, like uh, writing is the thing that I've always known I was supposed to do, but it's not my purpose. And to truth, truthfully, I'm, I'm still searching exactly for my, I'm learning, I'm leaning into my curiosity in hopes that that is what it means to live out my purpose. And so that is why, even though, for example, a few years ago, I had gotten to the company that I thought was the end all be all for writers, Condé Nast. And I was working as a staff writer at a magazine that I loved, Wired, and that should have been it. And I was getting to write long articles and I was getting health insurance. Like it just seemed like that was it. And then LinkedIn came along and said, do you want to do a podcast? Podcasting is not writing. And like, I didn't even blink. I just said, yes, I took that job right away. I took that job without asking anyone except my wife if it was a good idea because I felt it in my body. It was a good idea. And if I had thought, oh, but my purpose is writing and writing is what I do, I wouldn't have done that. But instead, like my thought was, there's something here that I haven't done before that I need to learn about. And this this intuitively feels like the next thing that I am supposed to do. So I'm going to leave that thing that is known and do this next thing and see where it takes me. I love that you share like the purpose maybe. So instead of writing being the purpose, it's the vehicle for a purpose and allowing something to be the vehicle versus the the end all be all. Because now you've got a vehicle to share what some of the most amazing people are learning about success and life and work. There's also a really good distinction there between doing and being, right? Your your purpose is within you and, and your being. And I love about Elizabeth Gilbert, like do everything with love. I say that all the time. That could be everybody's purpose, right? Do everything with love because when you do everything with love, if you believe the energy will bring you to maybe the doing purpose, right? Maybe the writing or the, the something else and how it evolves over time. But you really, in that example, it shows you, A, everything's impermanent and things are changing. But if you go with the curiosity and where the energy is, Leah and I love to say that, go where the energy is. You did that. You followed your being and it took you in, there was, there was, there was nothing else. It took you into where you're supposed to be. You know, I also think about another person who has a really great perspective on this, and that's Reed Hoffman. And, uh, you know, Reed founded LinkedIn. He is an amazing business strategist, a very sharp technologist. But more than that, he's a humanities guy. And early on in my career, the first time I was getting to know him, I was sent to do a magazine profile of him. And it's the funny, peculiar condition of being a magazine writer that you live high, but you also live very low. It's, It's a poorly paid job, right? And so on this particular day, like what I was going to do was I was going to get on Reed's private plane with him and fly from Las Vegas to San Francisco. And then I was going to go back home, which involved sitting in the last row, middle seat coach on an overnight flight back to New York City. It's just kind of how it works. 
So I get on this plane with him. I'm really excited. It's my first time ever on a private plane. I've read all about Reed. I think he's really cool. I ask him every question and we get done with our interview, but we still have a while to go. So I'm sitting awkwardly across from him. And then I start just asking him like, hey, do you believe in God? Explain to me your theory on the universe. How does the universe work? And we had a lot of time to kill. And you know, he talked about purpose and he was like, you need to do the thing that you feel called to do as early as you're called to do it. And I said to him, yeah, but what if you don't, what if you have no, what if you don't know what it is? And his answer was sharp and immediate. He said, then make it up. Mm. And the takeaway for me was like, don't waste your time on the trying to figure what it is. Like if you don't know a thing to do, choose a thing to do and do it. Your purpose will be expressed through the doing of the thing. The thing itself is not the important part. Yeah. And you learn so much that way. You learn what you don't like and and you can sit with that, right? Yeah. yeah it's often like the path of, of saying like, I, I know I hate this, so I'm going to do something totally different or do something a little bit different to be able to get me a different sense of enjoyment or... And you know you hate it, quote unquote, because of the way that you're being about it, the way, the way that you're you feeling, feel. the way yeah. that you're connected to yourself. And it, it, it points you in that direction. Okay, so Jesse, does Reed Hoffman believe in God? And what was his theory on the universe? Well, you're going to have to listen to Hello Monday for the answers to that one, because I recently had him on the show. And at the end of the interview, I was like, hey, remember that time like 15 years ago, we were on that flight? How about you? I've never been asked that question publicly before. I feel a little put on the spot. But my answer would be that, yeah, I believe in God. And I believe that we are all God. And I believe that we are all, all one. One thing that I really took away from technology reporting is how very little sense we have of the universe and how it works and how imperfect that our senses are. Like our eyes are these monstrous machines that take in all this data and yet they don't take in so much more data about the world. Pardon me, indulge me a little bit while I like spin out on that a little bit. But if there's so much that we are not understanding about the world, maybe the most fundamental thing is that we, you, me, Leah, Jackie, like we're, we're all just one expression of like one energy. And to me, that energy, that is what God is. Yeah. Yeah. It aligns so well with searching for the sameness, right? When we were talking before about, you know, we're the more same than different. I love how it all comes full circle. Yeah. And curiosity, which I think is, is interesting, right? And like, you know, tech is sort of born of constantly being curious of what we can create. And so if we're constantly curious, we create more and more. And yet there's this, it's always interesting to me to have conversations like this about the universe or God or whatever you call it, because some people are so staunchly against it. And I wonder, or so staunchly in their own, you know, their own place of like their specific dogmatic beliefs. And I wonder what would happen if we all got a little more curious about our entire existence. Yeah. You know, you've interviewed and met so many of you know, influential people in the world. And we talked a lot about today, you know, today, things that you've learned from them just through conversation, people have come up and things that you've taken away. Is there anything that stands out to you, a life lesson, so to speak, or something that just really, it was a memorable moment in terms of something that you learned that you want to share with our listeners? One thing that has changed over the course of my career is that I used to understand intelligence narrowly. I wrote, for the most part, early on in my career about accomplished technologists who went on to found businesses. I spent a lot of time with a young Mark Zuckerberg and a medium-age Mark Zuckerberg. I, I did a lot of stuff with Mark Zuckerberg up through about 2016, 2017. And 
for a long time, I thought that there was one way of being intelligent that mattered a lot. And that genius was something to strive for. And that genius was the product of being intellectually smarter than everyone around you, having a very high IQ. And the longer that I live on the earth, the more I understand about the myriad ways that we are intelligent and the importance of making room for all ways of being intelligent. And I think that like one of the challenges that we're in right now is that we have prized narrow ways of being intelligent too long. And when we make room for emotional intelligence, when we make room for kinesthetic intelligence, when we make room for every aspect of the human expression that leads us to genius, we'll have a more healed world. So beautifully said. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your you know, position on that, that you thought it was one way and now you're seeing and learning as you get older. I think that's such good perspective to to share with, with Leah and I and our listeners. And there's a sense of openness and understanding and recognizing, again, that we're all you know, the more more same than we are different and seeing all different levels of intelligence, whatever that means. I love that. Yeah. Well, when we are different, that's our gift, right? And so like, I hope in the future that when those differences come up, we'll celebrate them and augment them and help them and cultivate them and understand that that's what gives us the breadth of human existence. Yeah, I wonder, um, Jesse, with the with the differences, you know, one of the great things I hope tech does is also helps bring us to help bring us together across locations, because what we're talking about is something that's so Western, right? We're so so Western in the narrow way that we think about intelligence and the ability to, you know, have potential and the individualized way that we look at life versus the way that a lot of Eastern cultures have looked at it. Yeah, it's so true that like, the fact that we each think we matter so much is exhausting, right? Yeah, it is. All right, Jesse. So do you have any final thoughts for us and for our listeners as we wrap up this conversation we could have for another three hours? <laughs> well, Jackie and Leah, I just want to say that the thing that I appreciate the most about your show is the willingness that you have with each other to explore your interpersonal relationship. You talk with other people, you coach clients, you have guests, but like the hardest conversations we ever have to have in life are with the people who are closest to us. And I've so appreciated how you have modeled doing that for all of us this year. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot, especially coming from you, Jesse. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jesse. This has been awesome. I, I love that we all got to learn a bit more about who Jesse is and just, you know, really spending some time with you and learning about some of your experiences with amazing people. But, you know, I, I think Jackie and I are most fascinated too by your story, how you got where you got. So thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this journey. First and foremost, like we said, Jesse's got a podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's Hello Monday, another LinkedIn podcast that's amazing, interviews lots of really interesting people, as you've heard. So you can find her on probably the same places you can find us, right? Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all of that. So feel free to look out for her upcoming episodes. And we can't wait to see you next time. Have a great day, everyone. 